This is Sporting Max with Max Becker on SEN. Welcome back to another episode of Sporting Max brought to you by Bastion GRP for all your specialist needs in recruiting, engineering and defence. Go to Bastion GRP. Now this episode of Sporting Max I'm extremely excited for. She's the first female Indigenous ref to ref in the NBL, one of the first Australian referees in the NBA, Jackie Dover. Jackie, it's an absolute honour and a privilege to have you on. How are you? I'm good, thank you, Max. Thanks for having me on. I've uh, heard great things about you, so I'm excited to talk a little bit and to, to be on today. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. Now, I want to get straight into it. So I heard you were a part of All-Star Weekend last week. Was that experience, I guess, really surreal? It was. It definitely was. We um we participated as part of our RDP program to referee the basketball without borders camp. So we had, oh, that easily would have been, I think, 80 to 100 of uh, the athletes there from around the world playing and doing all their trainings. And then we got to referee their five-on-five scrimmages, which is pretty cool. Um, we were done by about 12, 1 o'clock each day. And uh, mm-hmm. then we were fortunate enough to go to the event. So I, uh, I enjoyed the dunk contest. The three-point contest, that type of stuff was awesome. Um, but, yeah, to be sitting in the stands for those games, as a kid growing up loving the NBA um, was, yeah, definitely surreal. So can you talk to me about the program you're in now? So I believe it's at the end of a five-year period in that NBA referees trainee program, the aim is to make it to the NBA? Yeah, so we're essentially in a full-time position to be able to study the rules, um, work on mechanics, that type of stuff, essentially prepare us for the NBA. Um, so it's a up to three-year program. Um, I'm now in my second year um, and the aim is, yeah, to get us to the hiring camp. So that starts again in May um, and progress onto the G League first. Mm-hmm. And then from we get all our training and, and whatnot and reviews and it'll be performance-based similar back home um, to then get a call up to the NBA. Um, but yeah, so it's, we're pretty much employed full-time, uh, study the rules, work games, review them, um, talk about plays, all the really cool uh, nerdy rep stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Now, can you tell me a bit about your childhood and uh, what growing up was like for you? Uh, heavily basketball-related. We uh, grew up on the Gold Coast, uh, spent a lot of time at the stadium. I guess you could probably say 50-50 go stadium to home. Yeah. Um, Mum and dad being pretty heavily involved there. But um, I'm one of five. Wow. Um, my older sisters played pretty competitive basketball as well. Um, and yeah, basketball's pretty much been it as a childhood. Um, I moved out of home at 15 to try pursue a WML career. Clearly to everyone listening and to you, Max, that went really well because I referee it, not play it. Um, but I moved up to Townsville to try, um, be a part of the program up there and to pursue that goal of, playing in the WNBL um, and it kind of went sideways and upwards from there being able to referee WNBL and beyond. So, um, yeah, basketball did you, kid. Did you ever make any state teams as a kid? Uh, I didn't, no. I was, I was reserved both of the under-18 states. Um, unfortunately, one trip they went away with nine, so I'm not sure I was quite what coaches were after. Um, but my defense definitely let me down. I was a shooter and uh, probably needed to work on that footwork a lot earlier than I did. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it like to try and try out to make that Townsville fireside? 
Uh, so I was part of the state league program, uh, pretty good bench warmer. I was part of, they ran an academy there for a little bit. Um, I think they have it up again now, but uh, it stopped for a while, but I was a part of that. Uh, so early morning trainings, just trying to keep working away at at becoming better. Um, I think I peaked in high school as a really good shooter. And like I said, defense didn't work. So I didn't quite get to that level. Um, I didn't quite get the minutes in state league either to try to, push for a highlight reel. I was really good at like cheering. My highlight reel would have been standing up, cheering, <laughs> coming off. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't know exactly the process. I didn't quite get to that bit, but, um, yeah, it's turned out all right now anyway. Yeah, absolutely. I believe Indigenous culture, obviously being a proud Indigenous woman yourself, would have been a massive part um, of growing up in your childhood. Can you talk to me and the listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, so I was fortunate enough um, in my primary school, we had an Indigenous program, so we were able to go on excursions, learn more about our culture, um, being in a, uh, or not a regional area on the Gold Coast and not knowing a whole lot about my culture and my history, um, just with uh, the, I guess, with the stolen generation, the lack of connection to be able to find out about your background and who your ancestors are, um, made it a bit more um or I guess less knowledgeable than I would have liked growing up um so that's something I'm actively working on now to learn more about and to be heavily involved in and to really embrace that culture I really learned a lot during my time with the North Queensland Cowboys um being one of the leads for the community programs there and being able to travel up um all throughout Queensland um up into Weeper, Cooktown at Kanamala and those areas where I was able to meet the elders, learn more about my culture while we were doing it for the kids to get to school and that type of thing. It was really beneficial for me um, to connect that way as well. So um, it's it's an ongoing learning process for me. I think there's a lot um, that everyone around the country can still learn, uh, myself included. So that's something that, yeah, like I said, I'm still trying to embrace more knowledge um, and continue to develop and, and learn more about my background too. How that experience with the Cowboys um, help you to, I guess, understand um, a deeper level of your culture? The experience is just being in community. Um, we would travel the back three, four weeks of each school term, go up to schools. Um, we was even fortunate enough to do a trip up to the Torres Straits um, and to go out to like Mer Island, um, Thursday Island, and just be around the culture and around the people and to just listen to stories and be involved that way was, I think, the most beneficial. It's better than reading books or learning that way. So <laughs> be embraced by it, to be embraced by the elders um, and to be surrounded by it was, uh, that were definitely highlights of my career in my professional life so far. So at that stage, were you still managing refereeing too? Um, yeah, so I had left the, I actually worked with the Townsville Fire prior to joining the North Queensland Cowboys and that transition happened because my refereeing was going somewhat successfully um, and the next stage for me was to referee the WNBL and I don't think you can really work at um, the WNBL floor while working for a club so I needed to give up my operational manager job um, and switch over to another profession and my boss at the time at the fire was actually really great he was like well let's set you up with the Cowboys let's see if there's anything there wow. um, and I was lucky enough to be able to go into that sporting go to which was cool but that's where my career for my refereeing side was um, just trying to get my foot in the WNBL door and then I started I actually got my debut at the WNBL while working for the Cowboys so that was pretty cool. 
Wow, that's incredible. Do you remember that first WNBL debut to ref it, you know, the first time at a pro level? Yeah, it came off uh, opportunity and availability. We had, I think, six Queensland referees on the panel at the time. Uh, two were available out of the guys that were on the panel, and then there was me in the development pre- um, program and uh, got a call, are you available this weekend? And I said, I sure am. <laughs> I will make sure I'm available. Yeah. If someone else is, I will definitely be there. Um, but it was actually a televised game, and I got to work the game with uh, two of my biggest mentors, uh, Scott Brown and Kylie Vervoden, two who kind of taught me coming uh, up to that point over the, I think it was two, three years that I'd been refing at that point in Townsville. Um, they're successful in their own refereeing career, but to take the floor with them was really cool. Um, it came down at crunch time. Um, I'm the worst travel caller in the world. Um, still something I'm working on is to get those travels, and I somehow pulled out a really good call at the back end of a game um, that was correct, luckily. <laughs> what, what, can you take me through that moment, what you were feeling? Uh, I think after I called it, I went, oh, crap, I really hope that that is correct. I'm confident. Yeah. <laughs> whistle so I'm confident it's a travel that's pretty yeah. rare um but if I think it was capitals against Townsville Fire um and the the guard with the ball um traveled but as I've blown the whistle she's put up a shot if she hadn't made that shot it would have tied the game with like six seconds left of the game so oh. we probably overtime type thing yeah so I um yeah I called the travel we go down the other end and um yeah that that last 10 seconds I was like I really hope I'm correct there um and one of the commentators was a North Queensland fellow that I had refed in state league and stuff and he was just uh I I think I still owe him 50 bucks from his commentating that game he was pumping me up saying what a great call it is for a debut referee and that type of thing but it was a televised game so they're pretty far in, um, in between back then um so yeah that was pretty cool but Surreal, I think just chucking me in the deep end probably was the best thing. I seem to um, succeed more that way than like easing into things, if that makes sense. Yeah. So did you have like the earpiece and things like that? And was that the first time you really got the earpiece back to the replay center and things like that? No. So with the WNBL, um, I'm not sure what the stance is at the moment, um, but we, the crew chief wore an earpiece for broadcast um, and a microphone, or maybe not an earpiece, it was a microphone for broadcast. Um, and the other two of us, we don't. But when you come into timeouts um, and being on the court with two people I was very comfortable with, yeah. and I'm very sarcastic, so I had to monitor my talking at timeouts because it would obviously get picked up in Brownie's microphone if anything was there. But not <laughs> coming in making jokes and that type of thing, but um, it's always something in the back of your mind. Like the W, uh, the NBL when I was was out on the floor there when you've got your microphone on the entire game you're very uh, aware of your words that you choose to use so so what do you do when you walk up to your fellow referees at timeouts uh I think a key thing is staying where we're restarting the game the amount of times you come in you start talking you finish the timeout and everyone's like whose ball is it oh gosh um especially like heated games where there's so much more to talk about. Um, so that's one thing I always try to do is like, all right, we've got um, two shooting, two shots, or we've got red ball when we come back in, like a very obvious thing. But the amount of times I've forgotten, um, especially when you're like thinking about everything else is a uh, thing, is uh, stressful when you're trying to figure it out and you go off the players positioning themselves and you're like, all right, so it must be red ball here. Yeah. Um, but other than that, it depends on the game, I guess, like, 
when we're working state league and NBL, WNBL, talking about like plays or what could be coming up. If it's a tight game, it's always kind of like my thing is let's let the illegal actions come find us. Like let's not mm-hmm. search for. We don't want to be the ref that is picking out things that we have an all game that type of stuff. So it just depends. Yeah, absolutely. What was it like when you got that opportunity to then go from the WNBL to the NBL? Was that, I guess, obviously you go from refing women's, I guess you're comfortable there. Um, you've made a name for yourself and you step up and you go on to ref with guys like Ray Hunt, Michael Leyland, Vaughn Mabry, all those kinds of guys. I spent time with Ray just recently here in the US and uh, we never... Yeah, I was talking to him about that. They said, because it was him, it was him, Ralph Kirsten, wasn't it? It was him and yeah. Ralph Kirsten, is that correct? Yeah, because I was speaking yeah. to those two guys the other day and they said that was like the most eye-opening experience like they've ever been a part of. Yeah, it was really cool to have me. We were all, um, like I said before, ref nerds. We were all in the replay centre one night, um, just watching games, looking at plays and just sitting around a monitor while games were all in action. You kind of sit off to the side when you're a visitor, so then you're not, when they go live on plays and stuff like that, you're not in the in the vision. But, yeah, it was really yeah. cool to have them here. Nice to hear Aussie accents as well for a yeah. couple of days. <laughs> what, what, what did the Americans perceive you as when you got there? Did they did they think you could be English or Kiwi or were they just like, no, straight up, no, you're Australian? It depends and it depends who I come across. So obviously work knew I was Australian coming into the program. Um, but when you're walking around or even like here at my apartment block, I'll be talking or um, say good morning or I don't use mate all too often. I, I definitely put up that to give it away I'm Australian um, really? but it's like a English or some people will be like where are you from and I go oh, Australian and go, I could tell from the accent I was like oh it's a dead giveaway isn't it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. of- so, so how have you found adjusting to the American lifestyle as different man um I lived at the Sunshine Coast prior to moving here um, in not really a super busy area at Pacific Paradise. So you could jump in the car five minutes and you're at a beach. You might come across 10 people in your walk in the morning uh, beach and it's all nice and empty um, to then come to New York City. And I live in uh, a spot called Jersey City, which is like a 15-minute train uh, under the water, the Hudson River on the other side. Um, and it's a whole lot nicer on the pocket over this side than uh, living in Manhattan. But it's it's busy here. Uh, you've you definitely got to look out for yourself. You got to keep busy. Is an easier way to survive when you walk in the streets. If you're walking like you've got somewhere to go and be, then you're pretty safe. If you're dawdling around, you'll get knocked and that type of thing. But um, there's adjustments. But it has been a a nice learning experience the past twelve months. But I definitely. If uh, when I'm signed, if I can go to somewhere a bit more sunny coast vibe, I'll definitely be down for that outside of New York. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Is that like a Texas or Houston or that kind of thing? Yeah, you could go like, like even West Coast. So going San Fran, LA, something like that. Yeah. But there's yeah. there's lots of places to check out. And that's probably the cool thing. Like if I get signed and, and when I do is when I'm traveling for games, I can then check out all these different places. Yeah. And everything's going to be new. That's uh, I'll get to be like a full time paid tourist at that point, and then just dabble in some basketball games too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I want to get back to the NBL. What was your first experience like at that NBL level, and um, how respectful were the players? I guess towards you in that first game. 
Um, that first game was, I think I was fortunate with the teams that I had. I had Cairns and Brizzy. Um, leading up to that, though, I think the um, that was my first year as part of the ERP program, which is the development program for the NBL. Um, yeah. And I spent a lot of time in the replay centre. Um, and when you go in there, you're kind of running the game. So you're running the reviews, that type of stuff. You've got um, Scott there and the other referees to be able to make decisions on bigger things that are definitely above my pay grade at that point but yeah. things like bounds reviews and you got the nine angles I think that training and that experience of running the replay center for months leading up to my debut made my transition onto the court easier it's like oh, I had seen x amount of plays leading into it obviously not on the court so it's different but that kind of helped prepare me to be a bit more successful in that first game but the guys that game a bunch of them shaking my hand before the jump. Um, and anyone that's seen that jump, it like went up into the rafters. It was Did a you do jump ball? Yeah, it's like a, a rite of passage in the NBL for your debut game. You do the jump ball. So you do it once, you're good. You're, you're on the panel type thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the fellas are really nice. I had, yeah, Cairns, Brizzy, Indigenous Round, which was cool as well. Um, but, yeah, I was getting handshakes off some of the players and um, my mate was – uh, reserve on that game on the side with like we have our um our reserve referee sitting there with the headset on and taking notes and communicating with replay center and stuff and he was like half these guys haven't even said uh anything to me over my career and they're saying good luck to you being the nicest people ever I said oh it's probably the bun I think um it's, <laughs> <The> uh, <bun. laughs> that way but yeah it was really cool that first game was awesome um definitely a transition onto the floor I'd had a couple of preseason games up my belt but that level from preseason and even NBL one finals and that type of stuff to then jump up to that game you know regular season um was uh, I got it was challenged that game but I, I think I've kind of kept myself above water which was nice which was my goal look after what I can touch call what I can touch look after my area and mm-hmm. my mates on the will do the rest uh, as they had been across the season so it was pretty cool I, I really enjoyed it I um, was in a warm venue too up in Cairns so it felt like home <laughs> I can imagine when you've got like a fast play coming for out of bounds and you've got to try and pick the gaps between players and things like that what's that like because you've obviously got to get in the right position to make that call I think out of bounds can be some of the toughest plays for how fast how fast the ball can come someone putting their hand in did they touch it did they not um I think in general working for the gap is more around like I'm pretty like I said my defense is pretty horrible so sometimes as a referee I get pretty flat-footed so it's around reminding myself like you can have a spot, you can have a gap, but the game moves, right? So you've got to be able to move and adjust and maintain that gap because it's around like I don't want to be surprised by anything. So the better I can move and the better position I can have to to cover more players or to pick up a defender early, especially on like a block charge play, the earlier I have the defender, the more information I have to be able to make a decision when that bang-bang play happens type thing. But the out-of-bounds, I think, sometimes can be some of the hardest ones. They're, they happen fast and you kind of got to put pieces together and make a decision as soon as you blow your whistle too. Um, but that's the benefit of the NBL. And and back then we were able to review out-of-bounds and that type of stuff. So um, the the technology side of it for that, it would be really cool to have like a replay center for an underrating yeah. sometimes because they can be really tough or your, your local games when you're coming up through the ranks having a replay center might be super helpful to help uh, learn plays and transition that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Can you take me through that application process? I think it was for you to get into that NBA referees program. 
I think it took a couple of years, didn't it? Uh, so getting onto, I guess, their radar was um, a more of a Google process. I ref the Opals camp, was talking to Sandy Brondello, how to referees. Like I knew they got paid a lot more than what we do in Australia mm-hmm. um, and living out of it. Um, so I was just talking to her, went home, Googled like how to become an NBA referee. They've got an online portal. So I created a profile on there. Um, nothing too much happened there. You kind of just fill out information when your games are and that type of stuff. And then there was actually a, a an email that was sent out to apply for a tryout that was uh, like a, I think it was called like a G League showcase version for players yeah. to try it into the G League for players. Um, so I applied for it. I remember screenshotting it, sending it to my best mate, like, haha, just did this. Um, <laughs> that will never happen. And then I think it was four weeks before the tryouts were to be able to go over and ref. Um, I got the the approved uh, email, you've been selected type thing. So I had to plan a, a trip over to Chicago um, off a few weeks notice, um, went over there. And for me, that was more getting myself in, in front of them. So going out there, just being me, clearly I wouldn't have known the rules, the mechanics and that type of stuff. I'd been studying the rules. I think that 20-hour fight over, I had the rule book. <laughs> Like, all right, what's different? What do I need to know for this type of thing? Um, <laughs> yeah. Stressful back then. Um, but then COVID happened. Um, so I had made some good relationships on that trip and and uh, met people there. COVID happened. Um, so I, I uh, couldn't go to – I was hoping to be invited to grassroots that next year. Um, so that would have been 2020, obviously. Um, yeah. So then COVID happened. They have what they call a pipeline program. So – I was then put into a candidate pool of a hundred people. Um, and we did during COVID, we did a lot of online zooms and trainings and just getting access to be able to, to talk basketball and to talk NBA that way, um, which was really cool. And the pipeline guys were emailed a job application um, and a job description for the RDP program. So then it just became like any normal uh, application for a job. So sending my resume, um, then did an interview and then was selected. So the interview itself was nerve-wracking. I had guys like Monty, um, Duke, those guys on my interview, like all these NBA refs <laughs> that I've looked up to pages yeah. and like answering professional questions. But I was like, I really just want to pick your brain and this is a bit surreal. So, yeah, it was pretty cool. But the actual getting into the RDP was a normal job process, but getting in front of the NBA, I think, coming out of that Chicago and just that curiosity was the best thing I ever did. So obviously NBA players and players trying to make that and make the NBA and the pro leagues have scouts scouting them. Referees, I guess, also have scouts to, um, to a certain point in time. You mentioned before trying to get onto the radar of those scouts and that camp, I think it was, you said that camp in Chicago was the best thing for you to get on their radar. Yeah, so when you were put in that candidate pool of, I think it's about 100 people, um, we're all kind of assigned a scout from there. So you said I would send them tape as well um, when we were back on the floor in Australia and get some feedback that way and talk about it. Um, but, yeah, that was that was my way of getting in front of the NBA scouts and I'm not sure um, that I would have been able to do it too many other ways, um, being Australian and they're, they're really developing that international pathway at the moment. Um, yeah. which is really exciting for the next lot of referees coming through. Um, but I'm glad I did what I did to get on that that radar for the scouts, for sure. So the I imagine the exposure to, you know, a high-quality environment and program um, over there with that NBA's referees training program would have been 
eye-opening the first day walk in. Yeah, like I said before we, we started, the uh, the office itself is super cool. <laughs> like outside of all the training and the program and stuff, walking into the MBA office, um, I moved over when there was still a bit of a lockdown in, in New York, so there wasn't many staff in the office. They were all working from home. So I kind of wow. got to me and a fellow RDP mate. He had been there for about two weeks already. He was like, all right, let's walk through every floor. I've already done all this. Like he's super curious. He's just happy to go. <laughs> venture and stuff so I had a bit of a tour guide but there's the trophy sitting in there you're going through all the different levels of just like post uh, walls covered in artwork um wow. jersey everywhere you've got Wilt Chamberlain shoes on one level just sitting there in a in a case as well so there's all that type of stuff which is really cool but um the program itself is good to just be like 24 7 living in in basketball the rule book um and I was fortunate enough to do that back home with the NBL and and with my business too but um, when it's not yourself paying your own wage, it's a bit, it's a le- little bit less stressful, and you can really enjoy it a lot more as well. Are there usually like big group discussions in terms of um, the people in that program, with I guess making calls, watching film, and things like that? Yeah, so um, like today's Friday for us. Um, we'll have a meeting at ten a.m. to review both the games that we work. So we work a like a men's pro league on a Monday, Tuesday night out in Jersey. Um, We review the game. So we'll sit down for two hours today, go through, spend an hour on one game, an hour on another, breaking down plays, pulling out plays. Um, We do individual reviews. So yesterday I watched my Tuesday night game, sent in my my review of it, and then we all get together on Zoom um, that way and and break down plays and talk through it that way, which is really uh, beneficial to you getting opinions. And then we've got the guy running the program, he'll kind of give us guidance around it. So, um, yeah, it's really, it's good that way. And then we like networking wise, there's referees that I've met in the NBA that I can send plays to as well. Or like um, one thing for me is to try to find big moments in a game. You've seen the NBA game where they like, they'll text someone and then they'll throw them out and they're really yeah. like, <laughs> they're, cells on stuff. That's something I'm still trying to work on because uh, I'm not, I'm a very, a casual referee so nothing have you ever really... had to eject like a pro coach or anything no no not yet oh i had a game shut down over summer ball um we had just called the game because the guys were just getting out of hand and, and uh <laughs> i don't know they had bad dinner i think um and that was getting a bit bad but yeah no nah, not in a program yet but yeah the game reviews are good we do that each week which is really uh helpful so obviously recovery management um in terms of physical aspect and component of refereeing is a massive thing for you guys. Is there a lot of work around that? Yeah, I probably put in too much around my recovery. I feel like I'm a bit of an old girl already. Um, Stuff like the boots and uh, getting enough sleep and um, I've got like an icing and that type of thing. But for me, I'm trying to get on top of it now. Um, My gym, my recovery sessions that way uh, probably should do something like Pilates or yoga to be a bit more flexible. But um, when I was in the NBL, that was a really big focus for me when we were jumping around on flights and stuff. And a lot of mine weren't necessarily on court, but you're still doing the travel. You're still sitting down for two hours while the game's on. Um, But yeah, I'm trying to get on top of it now, make it a consistent thing for me. Uh, Something I do daily stretching, um, recovery boots, that type of stuff to then, I want to be able to run around on the court for the next 20 years. So I'm trying to avoid injuries and avoid letting it get to the point where then I can't run up and down the floor without a walking stick would be a nice goal. (laughs) (laughs) So what does your physical program look like? 
Uh, for me, it's uh, gym. So going into the gym three, four times a week. Um, one of them's pretty heavily sprint focused or um, agility as well. So like I said before, my defense is horrible. So that transitions into my speed and my ability to turn and change direction. So that's something I've been working on for a while. I think there was one NBL pre You work on it more now than when you did play? Yes. Yeah, and that's what I mean. Like if I had done that as a teenager, maybe I don't think I would have made the <laughs> I would have had a better shot. I would have got more minutes in the NBL one core, that's for sure. But um the the big realization for me was doing one of those NBL preseason games and it was like three or four plays uh, that I was just getting beaten up the floor and I was like, right, well, if I want to be working this league, that can't happen. So I really kind of zoned in and focused on it from that point leading into the season to then my thing was I'm not getting beaten on the plate. Like I'm being the first down the court, that type of thing. So, um, yeah, gym, sprints, um, recovery. So I've got like a whole bunch of those boots and stuff like that. So I use that pretty often, um, stretching, that type of stuff. So that's my usual week to week. And then we work the games and the games become a lot easier that way. Like some games for this pro league where we're in aircon too, but you're not necessarily breaking a whole lot of sweat because I like to – uh, just uh, exceed in the amount of sprinting I do in the gym. So then when I'm on the court, it's not as strenuous, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. So how'd you get, I want to get into your company, JDA, and the training program there. How'd you get that started? Um, That was kind of off the back of that Chicago trip, just seeing how they did stuff in the States with camps and uh, mentoring that type of thing. And I, I remember sitting in, my room for uh, my WNBL semi-final in my first year, um, planning it out at a little pad. I reckon it would have been like a, oh, look, I still do it, a uh, little like hotel sheet and write notes and ideas and stuff. Um, and I was kind of just planning out like if I was to start this, how would it look? And that's what I was doing for my, like my day of for this semi-final yeah. game was just <laughs> things out. How can I do this? How would this work? I reached out to a couple of refs first and spoke about it with a few guys um, that I'd been involved in and was like, if something like this was available, would that be something you'd be interested in? There was a bit, there was a lot more. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's something I'd definitely be keen on that type of thing. So that probably put me uh, over the edge. By that point, I, I commissioned a couple of state champs um, and I ran the, the referees for the AIB nationals up in Cairns too. And so met some really good referees that way. Um, so yeah, I kind of just planned it out. Gave it a shot, launched in, I think it was three years ago now, in February. And then the next month we went into lockdown. So I in, to be honest, I think it was perfect timing outside of being able to run like physical camps and go and run referee programs that way. But for the guys I was mentoring, I had 10 in the program um, and we'd do this, jump on Zoom once a month, talk basketball. And really um, my point of view for them was let's jump into it now while everyone's in a lockdown, probably just yeah. chilling. you putting in the work so when we're out of lockdown you're going to be in a really good position to go out there and just excel essentially um so that's how it started uh it was off a little notepad um and kind of has just developed and continue to kind of evolve that way now too to um it started off with individual mentoring in the academy and now I run a state program for for basketball Queensland and then I just uh, started one for basketball New South Wales too with 10 female officials so it's kind of just evolving and going in the direction that it's naturally going in um, but I'm really really fortunate that I can run it from over here too to be able to jump on zoom and it's such a normal thing post-covid it makes running my business a lot easier <laughs> yeah, yeah so how do you manage training 
refs who are coming through the system with obviously refereeing in the program yourself? Uh, it's been a lot more challenging on my brain here when I'm training the guys back home is obviously FIBA and then I'm studying a pro rule book over here. So when I'm talking plays or guidance or specific <laughs> rule nuances, I have both rule books out and I'm checking that I'm saying the right thing to them. But it's good for me because being a FIBA official too, I need to be able to go off to a FIBA tournament, just click a button and go back into FIBA mode. So um, it's been really good that way. It's challenging me professionally. Um, but then it's also good for the business too. Some of the stuff I can learn through the NBA now becomes terminology and things that I'm kind of processing with players that then gets passed on to the kids in the program or the referees in the program too, um, which is really cool. But juggling it, it's, what is it, nearly 5.30 a.m. here when it's nighttime for you back home. It actually, parts of the country, it works out really well to get up and, and run a program. Um, so our, our BQ program, they'd be on at the same time you're on right now. And for me, it's 5, 6 a.m., jump up, run the session. When we finish, I then go shower, get ready for work and go in. So it actually works really well that way to be able to fit it all in. I just, when I get an opportunity to nap, I'm going to go have a midday nap when I can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you mentioned before that sleep's a big factor of your routine and schedule. How important is that to you to get, you know, minimum six to eight hours of sleep? Yeah, I've learned that I probably function better off the six, so it works in well with what I'm trying to squish in. But I'm a big napper. Like, I'm cool to go to bed. I kind of pass out. If I can lay down on a couch and nap for half an hour, I feel better waking up from that than eight, nine hours sleep. So yeah. Um, yeah. got a, it's like a weird ability to just fall asleep. There's, there'll be plane flights I get on and I sit down after, when we're boarding and before we even take off, I'm out to it. I'm really? just asleep. Yeah, it's... It's I, I think it's a cool talent because it means I can just nap all yeah. the time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure it's I'm not sure it's completely normal. So it's probably something I should get checked out, but I'll take it while I can do it. <laughs> That's a great talent to have. Like that'd yeah. be amazing just to just doze off yeah. like anywhere, anytime. It worked in tournaments, uh going to nationals back home in Australia. We go you're stuck at the stadium all day. I'd just I'd take a pillow from the hotel and I'd go have a two hour nap between my games. I got weird looks and people being like, how do you do that? And I was like, well, I'm fresh, ready for my game too now. So (laughs) Ready to dominate. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So what's that like when you've obviously, obviously you mentioned waking up from those six to eight hour sleeps, not feeling as good as when you wake up from those power naps. As a kid, was that always a similar situation for you? Were your parents big on um, that physical routine and having a routine set? Yeah, looking back on it now, I think it was probably the five kid factor, sending us to bed at a certain time and based on your age was in the time you had to go to bed, uh, yeah. which makes sense. Yeah. So if you got five kids, I'd want them going to bed at a certain time so you get some downtime. Um, but, yeah, we had set bedtimes um, and that type of stuff. I was never a napper as a kid. I hated it. I would always try to pretend that, like, I had napped and then go out acting like I was all groggy, like I had a nap, and then they'd be like, well, no, you didn't sleep. Um, so really probably should have capitalized that as a kid. Naps are, are fantastic. Uh, but yeah, mum and dad were big about going to bed and, and looking after yourself. And with lots of us playing sport um, and the time commitment they put into getting us to games, to trainings and stuff, there was kind of that expectation too that we looked after and we put in the effort that then uh, matched what we were trying to achieve, which was, um, I think, kind of good habits that are now paying off as well. Have you had the experience of the hectic schedules which NBA players, coaches, officials and refs undergo with, I guess, fly-in, fly-out work um, in different cities? Not over here. I did that uh, in the NBL when we were working um, and 
I mean, that first year I was on the ERP, I flew to Melbourne a lot for the replay centre or I'd go to Illawarra as a reserve. I got chucked in a couple of lockdowns between all that travel because we were still navigating COVID. So I think I spent like a week and a bit in the Sydney hotel once. Um, that And I had an overnight suitcase. It was meant to be an overnight trip and I got pinned there for like a week and a bit, which was fun. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I got to experience that in the NBL. That's probably something I miss a lot is I, I'm definitely somebody that kind of enjoys that environment, not to the point where you're not home for the entire month. Like some of the NBA guys talking to junior and that and how their schedule was is pretty nuts. But um, I miss that part of it. Being here is because we're based in New York, our leagues here, and we go to the events like Utah and stuff like that. Um, but it's not where until I get hired into the G League, it's not that type of lifestyle or environment. Um, but yeah, that's that is to be honest, that's something I do miss, you know, flying around, working games and that type of stuff. So I'm looking forward to getting back into that environment when I can get hired. Yeah. Do you officiate in the replay center and out on court a bit differently? Um, yeah, I mean, I can't talk to the replay center here. We kind of just sit in and observe. But when I was in the NBL, the replay center is a different version of like stress. <laughs> you're, you've got nine <laughs> camera angles. So if you still mess it up, it's pretty bad. Yeah, um, yeah. And you make decisions that are being sent to you. Um, I think one of the more stressful bit is when then um, they integrated putting the, the feed of the screens onto the broadcast. So then we're on a time limit, like you've got to be at it click your screens, what are you doing, and not mess around because it's live on broadcast. So that side yep. of it was a bit like, oh, gosh, all right, don't mess this up. <laughs> um, but to be honest, like, I enjoyed that. I, th- I felt that was really good learning. I'd love to be um, able to, if there's opportunity, to go back in there and do the, the replay center. I think it's a really good development tool and to continue to, to get plays and that type of stuff. Um, but being on court is... Yeah, it's very different. You're also running your heart rates up. Like my heart rate gets up in the replay center, but it's different to being a bit puffed when you're out on the floor and you're trying to make decisions. Okay, and you've got all these outside factors coming in, whereas a replay center, you're in a room, it's pretty quiet, everyone's zoned in on the game. So it's different type, both stressful, (laughs) both environments that are competitive and you're trying to perform at a high level, um, but it's definitely different in terms of heart rate and that type of stuff. How do you incorporate different... Um, I guess, referee legends into your own refing style. You mentioned Monty before and trying to take bits and pieces off him and how surreal that interview was for you. Yeah, I'm lucky over here to be able to meet so many referees. I think watching film and seeing what referees do on big plays and even back home too, that's how I tried to develop my style was um, like Vaughn was my boss in Queensland and he's a super chill guy out on the floor and I kind of like that, I think being able to interact with players where you can go, hey, like I got you, I understand, or no, this is what it is. But then being able to have that like that switch to then go, no, this is the line, that's your warning or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to like pick off my mentors. Being over here too, it's really cool to be able to go, okay, I think that might work for me when I'm trying to like be big on the floor. What, what are they doing? How can I try and incorporate that? I tried to add in a, a big offensive foul cell the other night, Max. I did it. And everything looked cool. I was like, duh, duh, duh. and then I like went to punch it, and I like I looked so uncoordinated. And I just <laughs> sent it um, to Nat, one of the refs I met at, and was talking uh, at at Utah. She's like, send me plays whenever you want. So I sent it to her. I said, how do I fix this? Because I look weird. <laughs> like that, 
I tried to do what you said and it just didn't look good. So it's it's practice and it's getting that in front. But, yeah, a film's a good one and, and talking through and being in front of people um, to be able to practice with them too is a good one. How do you try and inspire and motivate young girls at home to, you know, be involved in basketball and ref and play? For me, I think the, the opportunities within our sport um, are really – big we've got so many avenues you can go down like I was, I was a community officer for the Townsville Fire I was operation manager for there I've coached um, refereeing's clearly something that stuck that I might, was clearly a bit better at than the, the other options yeah but there's so many there that you can be involved in like when I moved to Townsville I worked in the canteen and that's where you can meet people and talk and you build those relationships as well but um in terms of like inspiring them and stuff I'm just trying to really make sure that what I do is something that a I'm proud of and I can look back on and go, okay, I gave it my best shot and that type of thing. But if that can at the same time inspire the next generation of referees um, or to see what you can get into that way, I think is, is really um, powerful in itself without intentionally doing it, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, absolutely. I don't, it's a, a role that I didn't necessarily set out to do when I started refing. I just refed because I was injured. Um, and then it took off. So it's something I've kind of stuck with that way. And then along the way, I've learned that that kind of naturally becomes part of it when you're starting to do the first off things and that you kind of get put in that limelight without too many options around it. So trying to embrace it um, and things like joining your podcast. Um, I've worked with the AFL to jump on with their mentoring program and just talk uh, about my experiences. And if that can help people to not go through them or to go through them in a different way, I think that's going to be the biggest thing I can give back to the game um, and the next generation coming through. So obviously working with other big professional organisations like the North Queensland Cowboys and the AFL and things like that back home in Australia, what's that been like for you, not only to share your story but to gain insights from other people? I think there's a lot of similarities around sport, but I think there's also different nuances and things that they do differently or – uh, yeah, you can incorporate into yourself as a professional. So when I worked for the Cowboys, it was really cool around um, I was delivering programs, I was kind of coordinating and all that. And um, just to to be in that environment, it was a very successful period of time for the Cowboys too. We won the the premiership and that type of stuff. So being a part of game days and, and that type of vibe was really, really cool. And the people there, it's such a big organisation. I went from the Townsville Fire and we had a staff of three to then yeah. going Cowboys and our community department alone had 10 people and that was just one department and then you had the football department the marketing and that type of stuff so um, those experiences are things that now I can incorporate into when I'm running my business of things oh I know that that was done at the Cowboys or this is one way I can do it so I think for me it was just more like just trying to absorb everything from every experience I've had and and try to develop myself and and challenge myself and have a bit of a broader skill set versus being a basketball referee or a basketball player at the time. Did you get to work with Jonathan Thurston much? Uh, he was playing at the time I was there. Um, so he'd pop in the community department a bit and got to see him a few times. I worked closely with Maddie Bowen and I, th- I remember my first day at Cowboys. I was a big Maddie Bowen fan growing up, big NRL uh, fan. And uh, I didn't, it, all throughout my job process, no mention of doing stuff with him or anything like that. So I work and wow. walk in, stay sitting there and uh, like, oh, this is Maddie. And I was like, I know who Maddie is. Um, <laughs> God, this is, this is, this is surreal. Um, and then by the end of leaving there, like Maddie and I talk off and now 
um, he and I were the ones traveling up into schools and throughout Queensland and stuff. So I spent a lot of time with him setting alarms to wake him up and um, being putting up with putting up with Maddie was a fun part of my job. We are uh, we had very competitive card games and he's the dude that got me onto sprints as well. He if I don't know if you're an NRL fan and you saw how fast that dude was yep. in field. Yeah, there's a reason for that. Some of the stuff that he put me through in the gym, I don't ever want to have to go through again. It was painful and no wonder he was so fast. But, um, yeah, that was probably one of the more surreal things. But, yeah, now he's a, he's a good mate um, and he's big, bigger. He's a big laugh to hang out with as well. So it was cool. Yeah, Jackie, what's your best advice to any ref trying to get through to the NBL 1 or WNBL or NBL and um, get valuable experience out of their refereeing? I think investing in in yourself um, from a sports mindset point of view is something I wish I did earlier. It's yeah. something I invested in after two or three years and the difference I saw from myself as a person on the floor and somebody that's trying to uh, referee a game was a huge step. So that, that's my biggest advice is really get into some sports mindset training, um, really tap in with yourself that way. So then when you're out in this competitive environment, you are that calm that like, the game needs. The other thing I think is um, know what your goals are and know what you're working towards. Ask for help, but then also let people know that, hey, I want to be an NBL referee or I want to be on the NBL one panel. I think there's places at associations you can kind of get stuck in the system and no one knows you to even do that until it becomes a conversation. Um, so just making it aware, you don't need to go making a big show about it, but if there's a conversation, go, yeah, I do want to work for the NBL one. Like, what do you need from me to be able to get to that level? What, what do I, what do I need to be working on to, to be at that point for you, if that makes sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. Jackie, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. It's been an absolute honor to hear and for you to share your story. Thank you for having me, man. It's a, it's been fun. And I know it's a late night for you, early morning for you, for me. So I'm going to go nap and I assume you're going to go get some sleep as well. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much, Jackie. Stay tuned, everyone, for some more Sporting Max. This is Sporting Max with Max Becker on SEM.